You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. So um, my wife and I have been married for coming up on 17 years, and I asked her a question this week that uh, maybe I should have learned by now not to ask, although she took it really well, um, but I asked her, do you have a soul? <laughs> and like, she, she wasn't offended in the least, um, because she knew that I wasn't actually asking, do you have a soul? Um, but I was asking uh, the slightly more subtle question of, what, what does it mean to have a soul? Like, you know you have a soul in some sense. The scriptures assert this over and over. But like, what in the world does it mean for me to have a soul or for you to have a soul? Does it, does it make any difference? Does it change the way we live our lives? Like, how do, we, how do we know? How can we be aware of this? Like, what does it mean to have a soul? Um, what we're doing over these uh, couple of weeks as we start the year is we're talking about like how to discover or unearth or get back to or develop the real us. Um, despite the fact that uh, sometimes we think that that's just like, you know, new age uh, psychobabble, or it's somehow just uh, self-help um, that's sometimes packaged in Christian circles, this question of who am I is at the heart of Christianity for centuries and centuries and centuries. You can quote Thomas Akempis along these lines, like I mentioned last week, you can quote Augustine or John Calvin along these lines, that there is no way to know who God is without knowing who we are, and there's no way to know who we are without knowing who God is. And so the question of who am I at the very deep core of my being is an entirely appropriate question. Um, I, further than that, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, it's a very practical question. Coming to know who I am is the thing that is going to start to change me, give me freedom, give me energy, give me um, a sense of peace and security, and will allow me to then enter into the kinds of relationships that I so long for. So what we're doing over these several weeks is asking, basically, who are we? Last week, we started off very subtly and very gently and said, we are those who live in God, who move in God, who have their being in God. We read from Acts chapter 17. This morning, as I've already read to us, we are in Psalm uh, number 63. It starts this way, verse 1. God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's simple, but so many of the great truths of life are. They're like hidden there in plain sight, and they're hidden there in plain sight in our scriptures. Like, oh, I, I, I have a soul. Yeah, I, I have a soul. 
And so the question of like, do you have a soul is answered here, like in some sort of sense, metaphorical, real, something, the scriptures assert that, oh, we, we have souls. And so then the question becomes like, what does it mean to have a soul? But we have here already some indication of what it means to have a soul. My soul thirsts for you. My soul isn't just an abstraction. My soul isn't just language for my life. My soul isn't just another word for me, although the soul has to do with the deepest me. If we went and did like a word study trying to understand how the Hebrew scriptures and also the New Testament used the word soul, like what is this concept? Um, it, it's, it's, it's a little hard to define really exactly. We would have to define words like conscience and will and heart, and desires, and lusts, and affections, and love, and spirit, right? The, 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 the Old Testament conception of who we are is rather complex and is not theological. What, what I mean by that is it's, it's not scientific. It's not a dictionary definition that ever gives us that this is what your soul is. Thus is the soul. Here you go. Here's what the soul is. It's this, and it's not that. Right, we can try to reconstruct that by observing the text in its different places and what it asserts about the soul, and yet there's a little bit of a, a, a struggle here. Now, the struggle is twofold. One is you get some wacky theologians who are just going to deny the, the existence of soul, and they're just going to tell you, no, nah, no, nah, soul just means life. The crazy thing about that is I don't know why it keeps using the word soul if it also has the word life. If soul means life, then just use the word life. But soul does not just mean life. In fact, soul refers to the whole uh, immaterial aspect of our beings. Actually, we see this right here in this verse. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. I am body and I am soul. Somehow I am these two things. I, I don't know, um, th this week, my, my wife and I got to take like a whole week off between Christmas and New Year's, and we did like nothing except sit on our couch. We eventually took down Christmas decorations, but we just like slept and ate and enjoyed each other and deeply rested. I think before that week, um, we would have said, my, my flesh is faint, my flesh is weary, my flesh is hungry, my flesh has like deep, profound needs. But I think if you asked us before Christmas or New Year's, like, but what does your soul need? Honestly, I don't know that we would have been able to articulate with quite the clarity of my soul thirsts for you, O oh God, quite like Psalm 63 does. And yet, what Psalm 63 is teaching us here is that our souls have thirsts and hungers and needs that are just as real as our physical hungers and thirsts and needs. Okay, so here, here's my like um, theological anthropology, like the way that I want you to think about who humanity is, if you're like really nerdy, if not, ignore the next 30 seconds. Um, I, really simply, I want you to think about you, you being a person with two parts. They're, they're not separable parts, like soul gets separated from body and that's the definition of death. That's actually what happens when you die, is soul is separated from body. Um, resurrection is there's soul and body, both there is um, spirit breathed into our lungs. But from this body and soul that we see this dichotomy here, um, there's a complexity. And when we think about the immaterial, the, the non-fleshly, non-bodily, non-physical aspects of ourselves, I just want to take all of that and very sloppily and very roughly say that's what we're talking about when we're talking about soul. 
We're talking about mind, we're talking about conscience, we're talking about will, we're talking about heart, we're talking about gut, we're talking about like all of the aspects of you that are not your body. Okay, so, so, so it's really simple. We can get overly complex and overly technical and we can end up in wacky land of people denying that we have a soul or we can get lost in the weeds of like, well, is it spirit or is it soul or is it conscience or is it mind or is it like, all that's fine and it has its place, but that place is not here this morning. This morning is to say, no, we have profound depths as humans. Isaac McCoy have profound depths and that's not, uh, in saying that, there's, there's no self-aggrandizement. There's not, I'm deep and you're shallow. No, we are all made to be deep, profound, soulful, embodied soul people. Now, this is um, my absolute favorite of the Psalms, and it's my favorite for a couple of reasons. One is because um, later on it declares that your steadfast love is better than life. Oh, God, we'll get there in just a second. And, and, and I love this, but the other reason that I love um, this text is because three times in this single Psalm, it reminds me that I have a soul. And if you had me list, like, what are my favorite psalms, like, oftentimes they are the ones that simply remind me that I have a soul. And and I know that's so, like, facile. It's simplistic. It's so easy. It's so, like, obvious as to say, oh, the the preacher man who, like, started this church and, like, this, this is what he does all the time. And the thing that strikes him all the time is that he has a soul? Yes, absolutely. The thing that brings me back to, like, square one, brings me back to some sort of freshness and excitement and health and communion with God starts with the simple truth of I have a soul. So I find myself loving Psalm 25 that begins and says, Oh Lord, to you I lift my soul. Because it reminds me that physically or not, I have this immaterial part of myself that has access to the presence of God and I can lift it, so to speak, and come into the actual presence of the divine. I love Psalm 57 that says, in you my soul takes refuge. Oh God, when I'm stressed, when I'm overwhelmed, when I'm like at my wit's end, oh God, somehow immaterially as I come into your presence, my whole soul, my whole inner being, my whole depths can find refuge in you. And I love the couple of Psalms like 86 that beg God, oh God, to you, I lift my soul. Please gladden the soul of your servant. Oh God, please make my soul glad. I desperately need it. And I, and I guess I personally, not, not just make this all about me, but, but a, a big part of my job is just to like share life, share what I learned from the scriptures and invite you into the same. I don't know how to do much else than that. But, but, but I love this as I remind myself that I have a soul and I remind myself that I have depths. I remind myself that I have needs that are beyond the physical and beyond the circumstantial. Um, anybody set New Year's resolutions this, this year? Um, I'm going to shame you if you did. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I, I, I kind of love the idea of New Year's resolutions, although I'm not sure that I ever do anything quite so stark as New Year's resolutions. It's just not the way that I operate. 
I, I don't like being controlled by things, even things that I put in place. And so like I'd never do New Year's resolutions. Anyway, um, I, I guess the reason that I bring this up is, is I would wager that the vast majority of our New Year's resolutions or the vast majority even of our 10-year goals or our life goals or our life goals for our children have to do with material things and or circumstances. What I want to do this year is I want to change my circumstances. I want to change my job to get it better. Right, that, that's an admirable thing. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing this. I'm not, I'm not telling you these are bad um, goals. I'm just pointing out that, that changing our circumstances is a common thing when we begin a new year that we want to change. And then changing physical reality, whether it's changing like my own body, I want to get in shape, I want to eat better, I want to sleep better, like these sorts of things, or like changing physical reality of like I want to own a new car or a new, like what, whatever. Like I want to change my physical reality around me and I want to change my circumstances. And these seem to be the two things that, that we focus on. We scroll Instagram for. Then we like get up in a tizzy in our own heads about because I don't have the material things that I need and I don't have the circumstances that I want and therefore I am just like constantly struggling. And I wonder if so so much of our lives are spent trying to control material things and circumstantial things to the neglect of the fact that we have souls to the neglect of the fact that we need to actually aspire for and set goals for and hope for. Now, what I want this year is I want good things for my soul. I want to lift my soul into the presence of God more regularly. God, I want to find refuge in you as I struggle to change material reality, as I struggle to change circumstances, and I guess sometimes those things overlap, and I'm not sure quite how to disambiguate there, but as, but as I struggle with all of these things, and then therefore struggle with my emotions and my relationships and with my disdain for what, you know, maybe you don't have disdain, but, but whatever it is for you, as, as I struggle, I come back to these psalms, and I'm just hit over the head with, hey, dummy, oh, yeah, you have a soul. I'm not just a body. I have a soul. I'm deep. I need God, and it's impossible for me to understand myself or, by the way, others around me without remembering that not only do they have material realities and circumstantial realities, they have soulful realities as well. Now, this is the reason that last week mattered, right? So last week's sermon was so simple and so like subtle in a way, so like gentle in a way, and yet it stirred me, and I hope that it did some of you, where we simply remind ourselves of Paul's great truth of in him we live and move and have our being, and we say, no, I'm in God and I'm for God. I'm his. Oh, glory, glory, hallelujah. And, And I think this stirred us precisely because we have souls, precisely because we actually need to find ourselves in him. Like, who am I? Oh, I'm a person that's always only less than a hair's breadth away from the divine. He's not very far from from any one of us. He's hoping that we might grope and somehow grasp him and find him. And Jesus promises that he's with us, and now he's filled us with his very own breath and life and Holy Spirit. But all of that matters if and only if and only because of the fact that we have souls. And that sensation that we have when we realize that we have souls 
And because we have souls, there's something deep that might actually come into contact with the depths of God, our depths and His depths, some sort of actual contact. There's something that I love about that sensation, but, but I'm wondering if last week's truth might be only one of many truths if we grab onto this simpler truth of we are beings with souls, and I'm wondering if we might start to encounter that sensation of I am a person with depth and soul and immateriality, and I can somehow come into contact with the Spirit of the living God. I'm wondering if this simple fact of our unsoldness might lead to more facts that remind us of this magnificent sensation of our hope in the actual God who is good, who is real, and is oh so near. So this week, right, we could, we could end here. We won't end quite here. But as we think about like New Year's resolutions, what do I need? If I like had to do a um, problem solving or a, um, a self-evaluation, like where am I, how am I doing, what am I struggling with, what do I deeply need? I think if I would start with the fact that, oh, I need a soul, or I have a soul, not I need a soul, boo souls, souls are boring. Um, no, 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 uh, but like I have a soul, therefore, wait, what? If, if I have a soul, what does that mean? What does that imply? With all of that, let's actually read through the psalm again. So, oh God, you are my God. I seek you. I'm looking for you, oh God. You are my God, but I'm looking for you. The way David describes this is my body is fainting for you and my soul thirsts for you. It's like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's what my soul is experiencing, oh God. How many of your realities are you trying to address your bodily needs to the complete neglect of your soulful needs? How many of us have like souls that are so desperately thirsty for God, but we're just ignoring that, pretending, no, it's only my circumstances, only my physical needs, and continually trying to address things that aren't actually the problem? My soul thirsts for you, O God. Verse 2. So I've looked upon you in your holy place, in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Somehow seeing God changes us. Coming into the holy place, into the presence of God, somehow allows us to see him and then convinces him in verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This is the thing that begins to convince the psalmist that this is actually true. He's not just saying, hey, theoretically, hypothetically, like formally, I know that it's true that your steadfast love is better than life. What he's saying is I am an ensouled being and my soul has profound thirst for you, oh God, so here I am looking for you. As I've looked for you, I've tried to come into your holy place. As I've come into your holy place, I've seen your power and I've seen your glory and somehow deep in my soul, I've been become convinced of this fact, that your steadfast love is even better than life. So my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. Praise you, O God. Verse 5, he sums it up. My soul is satisfied 
as with a rich feast. My mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Verse 1, he starts off and says, God, you are my God. I'm, I'm seeking you. I'm searching for you. I'm looking for you. God, where are you? And he says, my, my body feels it and my soul feels it. I wonder if your soul feels it. And he says, what I need is I need contact with the divine. I need to see him and behold him and come into his presence. And then as he does, he says, wow, your steadfast love is actually better than life. And then he ends up and he says, my soul has had a feast, oh God. If we are ensouled beings who can lift our souls into God, who can take refuge in our souls, who can find gladness in our souls from the God of the universe, perhaps also our souls can feast in the presence of God. And perhaps then, verse 8, our souls might begin to cling to him as his right hand upholds us. I'm going to leave off the last three verses this morning. They're an imprecation where he's cursing some people and declaring some hope that has to do with some context that I don't have time to go into this morning. Um, But let's hang out on this. Do you have a soul? If it's true that you have a soul, what might you do slightly differently this week? What might you change? What might you try to address? How much of your emotional havoc? How much of your relational havoc? How much of your material and circumstantial havoc is a result of the fact that you've neglected your soul? I don't mean to get in the blame game. I think lots of times what we do with psalms like this is we take these verses out of contact and say, my soul clings to God, and then we just use them as clubs for each other. We're like, your soul better be clinging to God this week. And like, we, we just like want to threaten each other. If your soul's not clinging to God, then you're, you know, I don't know. Uh, we, we just like threatening each other. I don't know. Maybe that's just Yosemite Sam. Um, but I wonder if the psalm isn't better read to realize that this isn't just a command, it's an invitation. And so for those of us who are in here this morning saying, isn't there something more? Will will 2022 offer me something that I so desperately need? Will 2022 finally solve my material issues and my circumstantial issues? Probably not. (laughs) Hip, hip, hooray. Maybe, maybe. For some of us, it will. But in fact, when it does, the question then remains... Actually, for some of us, as we succeed, as we get control of our material and our circumstantial lives, then we still find ourselves like wreaking havoc in our relationships. So alienated from God, alienated from ourselves, and alienated from our neighbors, not to mention like our family members, that like we're, we're, we've deeply lost touch and we've, we've like become broken. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to come back and say, but, but what is our flesh? Like what is this immaterial concept of the flesh? What is, what is sin? What is brokenness? Like who am I? Like is original sin a thing? Is total depravity? Like we're going to come back and say, who am I? I'm not ignoring that. We're just pushing it 
to next week. But for those of us who have had some modicum of success, who have control over our lives, is, is your continued yearning and longing and desiring, is it merely a result of you have controlled your material circumstances, just not quite enough? If you doubled your material circumstances, would it, would it finally satisfy things for you? Like if your circumstances finally went 100% easy instead of just 95% easy. Like if you just increased that, that extra last little bit, would it finally satisfy the deep places of your soul? Or not? If your soul has thirsts and needs, if your soul gets tired and wearied, if your soul needs to eat and needs to find rest, then maybe part of our resolutions, even though we're over a week into the new year already, needs to be focused on, I'm going to live like an ensouled being. I'm going to nurture my soul. I'm going to care for my soul. I'm going to come into the presence of Jesus who promises to give rest to my soul. In fact, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Lest we make that an overly physical concept, he says, take my yoke upon, me, uh, upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why we prioritize spiritual things. If I have a soul, and if my soul is so desperate for contact with God, if it's hungry and weary, if it's like hangry, and I have no idea what's going on, and I just need like a soul Snickers, like maybe I should actually address that. Maybe so many other things in my life that continue to go wrong and continue to be broken and continue to perturb me, perhaps it's as simple as as my soul is hangry and I, for one, want to address that. So then, of course, we have questions of how do I do this? How might I do this? How might I go about doing this? And this, this is the question of the Christian spiritual life. Like, what does it look like to pray? Teach me to pray, oh Jesus. What does this look like to live a life in the presence of God? I want to do that. What does it look like to love God with my mind? Remember, the great command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Like, if, if all of my immaterial being how can I do that? How can I find delight and satisfaction? For some of you guys, it might be, I'm going to sing some more. For some of us, it might be, I'm going to read some more. For some of you, it might be, I'm going to work in the garden some more. For some of you, it might be, I'm going to write a poem. I'm not a poet, but I don't need permission. I'm going to, like, we're going to do this in innumerable ways. But, but let me point out one that often goes unnoticed and underappreciated. If we are ensouled beings, if we are people who have souls, we're not just souls, but we're not just bodies, we have souls, and if this is true, and if we need deep calling out to deep in coming into contact with the God of the universe, then perhaps the opportunity for soul nourishment actually resides all around us, and a large part of what we need is we need deep and soulful connection and relationship. Relationship. 
So we're going to put this on our 2022 goals, on our list of resolutions. I want to care for my soul this week. God, my soul is weary, and I love the permission that the Psalms give us just to confess and say, this is true of me. God, actually, I was so hungry and so thirsty, I'd kind of forgotten my hunger, and I had ignored my thirst, and yet, when I take a moment and look at it, my soul is so desperate. And we say, God, I, I, I want to have connection with you this year. And God, I want connection with people. Now, um, we, we get into a whole like introvert-extrovert thing here. I'm, I'm a little bit of an extrovert, but I'm not a classic extrovert. Like, I don't need a million friends in the world. I don't need to be like the life of the party. I don't need to be the fun guy. Um, what I need is I need a whole lot of deep, soulful relationships. I want real, meaningful, soul-bearing, you know me, and I know you, and we have depth-together kinds of relationships. And I wonder if these psalms that speak of, like, our immaterial depths, our soul, I wonder if I don't love them because they remind me of the way I'm actually made, the way I'm actually wired, the way I'm actually designed. And I say, oh yeah, I don't just need more productivity. I don't just need more hours in the day. I told several people this week, how was your week? My week was fine, except I needed twice as many hours as I had. Like maybe I don't just need more productivity and more doing and more acclamation and more control and more success. Maybe I need soulfulness. Okay, so we're almost done. We've got two focus areas. I want to add one third. If me having a soul and coming to know myself Coming to like get back to, oh, this is who I am. This is the real me. This is the me that has a chance at walking forward in some sort of health and vigor and flourishing. If, if that comes through soulfulness with God, number one, soulfulness with the people of God, number two, perhaps it might change our lives if we started remembering the people around us as simply having souls. Our service people, our employees, our annoying uncles. What if we looked at each other not just as material realities, not just as circumstantial realities, but as people with souls, which begins to put us at a place of service and we're like, oh, I, I need to care for them and I need to care for their souls. Yeah, yes, but actually I want to flip that and be more than that. What if everyone around us who has a soul is in fact an opportunity for us to begin the kinds of soulful relationships that we so desperately need? Perhaps the thing that we need is the thing that they need and this third step is actually the same as the second step and those two are actually in some miraculous, strange way the first step, but we won't get there this morning. Let's focus on our souls. Let's care for our souls. Let's ask God to heal 
and nourish our souls. We pray with me. Father, this morning I want I want to go beyond just the the motions and the movements and doing church because we happen to be here doing church. And in this moment, I want to lift up my soul to you as we sing a few more songs together. I want to be in your presence. I want to be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I want my soul to begin to cling to you. God, I neglect it so much. Would you wake me up? Would you draw me back from that? Would you develop within me the skills to commune with you, to have fellowship with you, to find the deep rest in your son for my soul that I so clearly long for? Would you hear us as we sing? We need you. We love you. We're so grateful for your wisdom and your truth and your presence here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com and please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are we hope to hear from you soon